Hey, welcome to CIV, everyone. We're uh, super, super, super glad that you guys are here joining us this morning. Um, I know a lot of people must be pretty happy with football results yesterday. The University of Hawaii finally won a game. Um, and that is the only thing of note that happened on football this past day. Um, yeah, so thank you guys for coming and joining us this morning. Uh, if you guys are looking for lyrics, uh, you can find them on our TV screens. I don't know, do we still have lyric sheets? Do we have lyric? No? Yes? I don't know. If there are lyric sheets, there are some lyric sheets over there. If not, then you've got the TVs. Uh, you can find the uh, online connection card as well as all our service notes online at civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday. If you're joining us over Zoom, welcome as well. You guys can find all the resources you need there. Once again, civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday. As you guys grab your seats, I invite you guys to stand with us and to work, begin to worship as we sing for God's glory and his power and his goodness toward us. And I searched the world But it couldn't fill me Man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough. Then you came along and you put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Beauty for ashes 
shame into glory. You're the the one who does miracles in the physical world. But the greatest miracle of all is that you came to earth and you died for us. And you and you alone are the one who's mighty to save, to save us from our sin, to save us from death, and to defeat it and to rise again, Lord. And so we proclaim this today, that you are mighty to save, our King Jesus. Everyone sing it out. Everyone needs compassion. Savior, the hope of nations. 
my God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Singing for the glory 
Thanks, guys. Welcome, everybody. You guys can take a seat. My name is uh, Jeremy Walker, and I help with the First Impressions team here at Church in the Valley. And I want to let you guys know about some things that you've got in your programs this morning, as well as uh, just an announcement on groups coming up here uh, this coming weeks. Um, but first of all, if you are a guest with us, thanks for coming and checking out Church in the Valley. If this is your first time, uh, we're glad you're here. And even if this, if this is your second or third time, if you have never gotten uh, a free book that we have over there at the guest resource table called How Good is Good Enough, you are welcome to grab a copy of that. We'd love for you to, be able to take that for you or for a family member uh, to be able to read. We think it's a really helpful book. Um, inside your programs is the information of our listening guide, as well as a connection card, some things coming up in church life. And so I would encourage you to look through that. That could be really helpful. If you want to access things online, if you'd like to go more digital, you can go on to civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday. And that has our, our message notes, as well as our lyrics for the songs. Uh, you can also look at these very large TVs and they have the uh, lyrics as well. Um, but want to let you know about that. And at the end of the uh, program, there are uh, recycling baskets, various places around here. Uh, there's not Kentucky Fried Chicken inside of them, although it might look like that, but you can put your programs and other stuff uh, that you didn't use, recycling pins, and if you have offering that you want to drop off in person this morning, you can put in those as well on your way out. Um, I want to let you guys know about some stuff going on with uh, groups coming up here. So we started groups uh, last week to kind of kick that off. And uh, there are still, if you're thinking, oh, I've been meaning to sign up for that, or I was wanting to sign up for one, uh, there is still time. There are groups that are open. We really think at Church in the Valley, while you're going to learn and be helped uh, on Sundays, definitely, uh, we also realize a lot of uh, growth happens in the context of relationships and in small groups as well, uh, to be able to get to know people even on a more personal basis and in a smaller setting where you can really have some conversation about different things going on. And so uh, if you have not been able to join a group yet and you'd like to, feel free to sign up. There are at least four groups that still have room uh, left over in them that have some spots left. A couple on Monday nights, the Rickerts, as well as the Klepsics, they have meet on Monday nights and their group has some spots still open. And then the Clowers that meet on Wednesday nights and then Jeep and Key Underwood that meet on Thursday nights. So if any of those nights work for you and you haven't been able to be a part of a group yet, I encourage you to do that. Um, and you can just sign up for that on your connection card. Also on your connection card, if there's any uh, just next steps you, hit, you get from the message today that you would like us to be you know, praying for you about as you're looking to implement those or just prayer requests you have or updates on information or things that you'd like to share you know, with, uh, with the leadership team here at CIV, I encourage you to write those down. We'd love to be able to hear from you on that and pray with you on those things. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to uh, continue to worship and welcome up John to have our message. So. Father, thank you for uh, this group of people here. Thank you for uh, the fact that we do get the opportunity to really do life together. Um, may we buy those opportunities up more and more uh, in the days ahead. And um, I really do pray that uh, people will really be able to connect um, beyond just the surface level here this morning, uh, not only with you, but with each other, and they'd really enjoy that time. And God, I pray that you would really be honored uh, through the not only the words of our mouths, but the meditation of our hearts this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with us as we continue to sing of the wonder, the power, and the glory of our God.
of what you are to us, Lord, the groom of the church, beautiful because you saved us, wonderful because your grace is so good to us. We thank you that our minds cannot comprehend the magnitude of your glory. We love you, Jesus. We want to be in awe of you, who you are. We thank you for being with us. We ask these things and pray these things in your name said amen. You guys can have a seat. Welcome John up for some, uh, for the word. Well, good morning, everybody. And what a pleasure to be here and to share in the gathering of God's people in his presence How many of you liked eating chili? A lot of fans. You know, it may, some people won't believe this, but it is actually possible to have too much chili. You may not believe that, depending, you know, where you come from, but it is possible there was a contest in the Philippines for eating chilies, and uh, the winner got over, ate, ate over 300 hot chilies, uh, the top, anyway, the, the three top places, they all ended up in hospital uh, with, with severe blood pressure problems and gastritis and everything. It is even, yes, it is possible to have too much of a good thing. However, you can never have too much Jesus. You never, ever have too much of God in your life. Right? You can have too much religion, but you can never have too much Jesus. And today we're going to talk about the, a passage in Exodus 33 and 34, which talks about the glory of the Lord and about Moses pursuing God, wanting more of God, wanting to see God, wanting to know him, wanting to understand him, and having a revelation of God's glory and his character. It's a powerful passage. And... Moses understood you can never have too much God. You might have too much chili, but you can never have too much God. The passage we're reading is Exodus 33:18 to 34:8, and we're picking up on a series we've been doing on Exodus chapters 32 through 34. Really, the, the title of the series would be "Who is your God?" and, and that question can be thought of in two different ways. You know, who are you, which God are you serving? That would be who is your God. But the other way of thinking about it is who exactly is your God? What is, what is he like? What is his character? What is his nature? And the passage we're going to look at today really explores the character of God. What is he really like? 
Last week, we looked at the presence of God, how Moses was desperate for the presence of the Lord in his own life and among the people of Israel, so much so that he refused to go to the promised land without the presence of God. He refused the promises of God without God's presence. And when God responded positively to that prayer, don't send us up there, Lord, without you, then Moses goes a step further in today's passage, says, well, Lord, I want to see your glory. I just want to say a few things about Moses' relationship with God from the last couple of weeks. What do we know about his relationship with God already? We know, going back into chapter 33, that he is obedient. When God says to do something, he does it. So obedience is a feature of his relationship with God. We know from verse 11 of chapter 33 that he has intimacy with God, friendship, communication. He he talks with God face to face as a man speaks to his friend, or in fact says God talks with him face with face as a man speaks with his friend. We know from 33.12 that he has favor or grace. He lives a life that's dependent on and shaped by God's grace and favor. We know that he's interested in knowing God from verse 12 of chapter 33. Teach me your ways that I might know you. He wants to know God. And in order to do that, he needs to know God's ways. And by the way, we saw last week that that prayer was answered. We know that his relationship with God is a relationship of presence, that he lives and walks and delights in the presence of God. We know that he's an intercessor. Several times in chapter 32, 33, and 34, Moses is praying some really significant prayers, asking God for mercy and for various things, for presence, not for Christmas presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, presents. But he's an intercessor. So his walk with God is not self-focused. It's, uh, he's praying for others. He's leading the nation. He's an intercessor. And so all of those things are true about his relationship with God. But today we're adding one step more, pursuing and seeking God and his glory. He has this tremendous experience of God already, right? Moses has got this tremendous experience of God. We know that he met God in Exodus chapter 3 on the mountain, this same mountain actually, Mount Sinai, you know, as there's a burning bush that wasn't being burned up and God spoke to him from this bush and told him to go and rescue Israel from slavery in the land of Egypt. We know that he takes his tent and he pitches it outside the camp of Israel and he goes out there and talks to God face to face. We know that he has already met God on the mountain and received the Ten Commandments. We know uh, that he has been hearing God's voice. He's got a tremendous relationship with God and yet he seems to want more. You know, it's so easy for us to plateau spiritually, to come to a point where we're just kind of satisfied with our walk with the Lord, 
or not quite, but nearly, and when does he get set up? It's okay, it's enough. We're just going to cruise, we're going to cruise control, like on your car. You get to a certain speed, you press a button, you take your foot off the accelerator, it'll keep going around the same speed. Sometimes I think we can do that spiritually, right? We get into cruise control on our spiritual life where we've actually plateaued out. We've kind of reached our level that we want to reach. How do, how do I know that? that? Because that's what we do. We, I mean, I've, I've done it in my own life at times, right? We reach a level and we think, okay, this is okay. Why press in any further? But Moses is someone who wants more of what he already has, more of God, more of the same. Now, in a very famous Christian book, Tozer's Pursuit of God, he says this, to have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love, scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist but justified in happy experience by the children of the burning heart. He goes on to say, they want to taste, to touch with their hearts, to see with their inner eyes the wonder that is God. So let's read our passage now, Exodus 33, 18 to 34, 8. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and, no, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God gracious, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. So we'll start by looking at the first few verses here, 18 to 23. This is the prayer where Moses asks, show me your glory. His goal is to see and to know the glory of God. By the way, notice he says, please. <laughs> That's the word, actually the Hebrew word, nah, 
uh, but uh, it's also found in chapter 32 and, and 33 in other places where Moses is, uh, is interceding and praying and it's a way of, you know, he's asking for favor by saying please. You know, Moses has met God in the tent of meeting and he hears the instructions about coming up the mountain. He's already talking to God in the tent of meeting and the cloud of God's presence is on that tent. And yet, whatever that is, whatever he's experiencing in that tent is not what he is not everything he wants because and it's not what everything that God is going to give him. It's not the same as seeing God's glory on the mountain. Now Moses has already experienced God's glory in chapter 16 and in chapter 24 of Exodus God's glory has appeared in a cloud on the mountain and Moses was there, and, and, uh, it, but it was something that he was sharing with Israel as the glory of God appeared on the mountain. This one is more of the same, but it's personal. But the, the glory for Moses is an affirmation of God's presence and a deeper revelation of his nature and character number of places in the Old Testament where God appears to people, theologians call these experiences a theophany, a theophany, a manifestation of God. And in our passage, you know, God is talking about, you shall see my face, you won't see my face, you'll see my back, and this kind of thing. It's a theophany, it's a, it's a manifestation of God. And of course, there's a the metaphorical side to it. Well, this is a what, what theologians call an anthropomorphism. God appearing in, with some kind of human form, perhaps. He's got a back, he's got a hand, he's got a face. We know, of course, that God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. And so, but he's going to represent himself when he appears in a way that Moses can understand. But this, you see, when God promises to Moses that he's going to reveal himself to Moses. This is what he says, verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name. To see God's glory is to hear his name, to, to identify him by name and to see and to hear the goodness of his character, the splendor, the greatness, the goodness of his character and to hear and to understand in some sense this name, the Lord. By the way, the name Lord in your Bible probably be in all capitals, L-O-R-D in all capitals. That's an indication from the editors of the English text of your Bible that the Hebrew word that's being translated there is Yahweh, God's personal name which means something like I am or I will be or I will even perhaps I will cause to be. It has a sort of creational sense as well. But that's the name that God is going to speak and he's going to hear that name and he's going to see God's character. Notice the emphasis even here on grace and mercy. 
to see God's glory is to see the goodness of his character and the goodness of his character is in grace and mercy he says I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy that kind of characterizes his name it's, it's who he is and notice also that Moses is not just going to see something he's going to hear something and so you can see God in various ways and hear him both these things are important I should we should read this passage where it says I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and show mercy to whom I'll show mercy we should read this as a positive affirmation of God's grace and mercy not an indication of God's reluctance to be merciful this is a positive affirmation by the way when you pray and you're asking God for something or you're interceding for others praying for others intercession and prayer is not twisting God's arm to do something he doesn't want to do that just doesn't work I know I've tried it it doesn't work prayer is asking God to do something that he wants to do it's not persuading him against his better judgment his grace and mercy come from within it's from the depth of his character as we're going to see even further as we go through this passage God finds a way to show himself to Moses and to us even though his goodness and his holiness conflicts with our unholiness Moses said God says to Moses I'll make you see my goodness I'm going to pass, my goodness is going to pass before you and I'm going to proclaim my name and by the way that's important too because that name it, when he proclaims his name it means that God is personal it's not just he's got a name it's not just a force a feeling or something like that Moses even when he encounters God on the mountain even that experience is limited right you can't see my face you can see my back it's a limitation but listen perhaps it's true that we don't that, that we'll find out more about the Lord we'll know him more we'll see him more we'll see him more fully in the resurrection when Jesus comes back in in the eternal life but what we can experience and know of God now is true listen it's true and it's sufficient and it's not misleading in other words when we finally encounter the Lord face to face in the in, in eternity listen it's not going to be different from what he's already revealed to us in Jesus it's not going to be different it's going to be more perhaps but not different from what he's already revealed because his revelation to us of himself in the Lord Jesus is true and sufficient true and sufficient because in first John chapter 3 in verse 2 he says when he appears we who shall see him as he is when Jesus comes back we shall see the Lord as he is so God says to Moses there's a place by me I'll hide you with my hand and I will 
you'll see my back and I'll pass by. What's the significance of seeing the back of God? Uh, perhaps it, it's, you know, it's just safer. Uh, but on the other hand, also, it's, it's, this is in the context of taking them up to Israel and up, up to the, to the uh, promised land. And so perhaps here is the significance of God being with them again to lead them as they walk following him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God is holy. To come into his presence is unmediated presence. Face to face with him would destroy us. This is what would happen to Moses if he saw God's face on the mountain there. And yet God still invites us to his presence through Jesus. It's quite remarkable. We know from the New Testament that Jesus is the revelation of the Father. He says in John 1.14, the word that is Jesus, the Son of God, he became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're going to see those kind of language in this passage as well. The revelation of God's glory consisting in a revelation of grace and truth. Jesus said, John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If you have this desire in your heart to see God like Moses did, to know his glory, to draw ever closer to him, to pursue him, then God has already come to find you. He's already come to find you. He has sent his son, Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. And when we see him, we see his glory full of grace and truth. And if you've seen him, you've seen the Father, just like the Father. As we move to chapter 34, verses 1 to 4, then the Lord speaks to Moses and says, you know, cut for yourselves a couple of tablets of stone like the first, and I'm going to write on the tablets. The words are on the first tablets, which you broke, if you remember back uh, in chapter 32. So be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. Present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. And we've already just read this. Uh, quite interesting. Perhaps what God is saying to Moses is, prepare to meet your God. <laughs> prepare to meet your God. You've got you've to be ready, Moses. So cut those stone tablets and get ready in the morning. Be ready and come up in the morning to the mountain and present yourself to me. No one else should come, not even anyone animals. God is holy. We want to approach him. We want to come to him, but we cannot approach him on our own terms. Listen, we cannot know God and, and, and approach him, have a relationship with him on our terms. If you ever hear people say something like this, yeah, I've got my own, got my own religion, got my own way of, talk, of relating to God. Yeah, really. That's what human religion always is. Human religion 
is our own invention, human invention of, of trying to connect to the divine, right? That's what it is. But God is holy and he wants to, and when we approach him, we need to approach him on his terms. He's boss, we're not. He's holy, we're not, until he makes us holy. And so this idea that I can invent my own kind of religion, I can do things my own way, I can relate to God in, in my, my particular way and not like something that other people have to do, don't like what it says in the Bible, I'll do my own thing. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. We have to approach him on his terms. In this passage, no one else can up, even come up the mountain. Animals shouldn't even graze nearby. And of course, before our chapter 32 through 34 passage, we saw uh, in, there, there is in Exodus the description of the tabernacle. And then after our passage, we're going to see the tabernacle being built. And there's a whole system that God has given them for how they should approach him and come to see him. You've got a, a tabernacle, you've got a holy place within that, and then there's a holier place with a holy of holies in the middle of that. God here is talking about a serious pursuit of him. When to come to God is a serious pursuit, not an enthusiastic moment. Amen. To come to God means a serious pursuit of him and his ways to know him and to see him and to understand his character, his glory. This is a serious pursuit. It cannot be completed in an enthusiastic moment. But it's a lifetime pursuit. Isaiah said, and we, we sought this passage, we read uh, a few months ago, I talked on this passage in Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. So, okay, seek the Lord. How do you do that, Isaiah? And Isaiah says in verse 7 of Isaiah 55, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's the way to seek the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, 6, and you know this very well, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. To approach God as the holy God, we approach it on his terms. And that term is Jesus. We come to God, the Father, through Jesus, the Son, and no other way. In he, the book of Hebrews, talks about Jesus. And he compares the priesthood of Jesus, the high priesthood of Jesus, to the priesthood of the old covenant. It says this in Hebrews 7. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he remains forever. He's risen from the dead. He's still alive. He's got a permanent priesthood. Consequently, it says this. He is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. For it was indeed fitting that we should have a, such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, for first for his own sins and then for the, those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself." 
That's Jesus. He is our way to come up the mountain. He is our way to see God's glory. He is the revelation of God. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, when God says to Moses, make those two tablets, not only is it just good preparedness, you've got to have something to bring back the Ten Commandments on, it's also good news. Because it means that God has not abandoned the covenant which he gave on Mount Sinai back in chapter 20. He's renewing it. Even though Israel have apostatized, they've departed from God, they've committed idolatry, this is a sign of God's favor, that he's going to, he's going to give them the commandments again, and they're going to have another opportunity to serve the Lord. Wow. Another opportunity to serve the Lord. So Moses goes up the mountain and he's got the tablets of stone in his hands and you'll notice as we get to the next part of this passage that Moses is ready, but he's ready to do what? He's ready to listen. He's ready to receive. He's ready to remember. He's got something. He's going to have a written record, by the way, of what God is going to say. He's got a written record he's going to take down. Moses, as he comes up the mountain, does not talk in this encounter. Can I give you some encouragement for your walk with Jesus as you're spending time with the Lord, not just to talk all the time? Hello? Not just to talk all the time. That's a monologue, right? you've got to be a dialogue. And, and in, a, in, a t- in a moment like this, where God is revealing himself to Moses in his character and his goodness and his glory, shut up and listen, right? Shut up and listen. Listen to God. Stop talking for a while. Start watching. Start listening. Get ready to listen and receive and Remember. So, in verse 34, chapter 34, verses 5 to 8, our final part of our passage, this is when the glory is revealed. God descends in the cloud, he stands with Moses, and proclaims the name Yahweh, the name of Yahweh. He passed before him and proclaimed his name. The name Yahweh, the the name, of course, represents his identity. It represents his authority. It represents his presence. To know God by name is to know him personally. For example, back in chapter 33, in verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you've spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. I know you by name. For God to reveal his name to Moses uh, is really a wonderful, wonderful thing. Names are important. Different cultures have different naming practices, right? When I was uh, doing ministry on the island of Fiji, and I was talking there actually to, I met a whole bunch of Samoans. South Pacific, or both in the South Pacific. And I was talking to these Samoans, and they said, in their culture, 
when a baby is born, quite often uh, the baby is named after something that's happening at the time, just some event. And there was a, uh, there was a person there who'd been named after, uh, his name was Pan Am. You don't know what Pan Am means, but Pan Am was a former American airline before it, it went bust. But it was the first international airline to bring planes into Fiji. Uh, and so that was a big event in that island. And uh, so uh, they named their child born at that time, Pan Am. Uh, as an acquaintance of my mother, uh, my mother grew up in, in country Victoria in Australia. And uh, there was a woman there whose name was, who, she was born on the same day that Queen Victoria had the jubilee of her reign. Uh, you know, the 50th, the 50th uh, year of her reign. And so, and, so, and so that woman's first three names were Queen Victoria Jubilee. Uh, poor, poor woman, really. But anyway, uh, they called her Queenie. Uh, names are, are interesting things. And uh, just sometime ask us about the hippie names of our grandchildren. We'll, we'll tell you. Uh, it, it's uh, one of those interesting things. And God's name is absolutely vital. Why is he called Yahweh? It's what he, the name he revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses said, uh, exactly what name should I tell them about the God who is sending me to bring you out of Egypt? You know, and, and they'd tell them, I am sent you. It's Yahweh. And of course, Yahweh means I am or I will be. And it's God's self-existence. He is who he is. And he doesn't derive from anybody else, right? He is. That's, he's the only one who is, exists of himself. He's not der derivative from anything else. He just is. This is God. In chapter 3, Moses said this. <laughs> Say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You know, Jesus has a name. Jesus calls his name. It, we know it, it comes from a Hebrew word meaning salvation. Christ, of course, is not his surname, not Jesus Christ. That was not his surname. That's his title. He's the Messiah, the anointed one. And Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that as Jesus, as, as he comes into this earth, even though he was in the form of God, he becomes a man, humbles himself to obedience to death, even on a cross, Philippians 2. says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow every, on, in heaven and on, on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus, Messiah, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He reveals his name. But listen, in verse 6 and 7, it goes further than the name. God is going to reveal himself to Moses, his goodness. And how does he do that? By proclaiming his character. This is God's glory revealed. To see God's glory then is not just to see a shining light or something. 
It's to know his character, to know who he really is. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But uh, listen, there are so many twisted views of character. In fact, of, of God's character. So many twisted views of God's character. You can trace most of your spiritual problems to a twisted understanding or a warped understanding of who God really is. Your picture of God is not accurate, typically, when you have consistent spiritual problems. It means there's some aspect of God that you don't really understand. We have to learn who God is. That's so foundational. What is he really like? In this passage, the first couple of verses there emphasize God's mercy and grace, right? Gra merciful, gracious, slow to anger. Sometimes, how often do we think God is quick to anger, right? Like we are. <laughs> He's not like that. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. That word steadfast love, the Hebrew there, hesed, it means God's commitment, his faithful, loyal commitment and love over time. Faithfulness there, that, that word perhaps can be translated truth. And so in this passage, we've got graciousness and mercy and, and truth and f commitment. He keeps commitment or hesed, steadfast love for thousands. By the way, that's thousands of generations. And he forgiving, he's very forgiving. Now, in the next bit, then it says we get God's justice. So we've got God's mercy, but now we have God's justice. He will by no means clear the guilty, visit iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. By the way, some of this language comes from the Ten Commandments, from Exodus 20. Right? Because in the second commandment, when it tells, them, tells you not to make idols and don't bow down to them, don't serve them, it says, for... I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So it's the second time they've heard this. In other words, we've got God's mercy and God's justice. Love, God's love does not equal license to do what you want. Just because because it's God's full of mercy and compassion and graciousness and love, commitment, slow to anger, kindness. This does not mean you can just do what you want and get away with it. That's the misunderstanding. To be forgiven by Jesus Christ is not a license to do what you want because you know you're already forgiven, so it's all right, I can, get, I can do it and get away with it. I, meant, I, I, I was saying this uh, when I was teaching in, in another place in, in a different state and uh, to a, a seminary and one of the students came up after me, after the class, talked to me. And he took me aside and he said, look, I know you said that you said there in the class that God's mercy doesn't mean that we have license to just sin and get away with it because we're already forgiven so we, we know we're just going to be forgiven so it's okay, we can just do what we want. I said, you, you said that, but, we know, but in class, but really, it's true, isn't it? 
And he was saying to me, I know you, he said to me, I know you have to say that publicly because you're a professor. But it's true, isn't it? Really, we just can sin and get away with it. That was his belief. And he thought I was actually making this up. I was actually, he thought that I was just saying this publicly to the class because I had to, rather than that it was true. Don't ever believe such a lie that you can just carry on sinning and nothing will happen. That's a lie. There are consequences for sin. And in this passage, it tells you <coughs> that your sin affects your children. There's going to be consequences for sin to the third and fourth generation. Those who hate the Lord, those who disobey. That's interesting. But look, look at the balance in God's character. There's a bias to mercy. There's a bias to mercy. The steadfast love of God brings a blessing to thousands, and by that he means thousands of generations for those who love the Lord. Whereas the, the nasty consequences of your evil, or anybody's evil, go to three and four generations, the blessing goes to thousands of generations. How about, that's, the, that's the bias to mercy in God's character. The heritage of good is far greater, more powerful, and longer than the heritage of evil. And by the way, the things that God has been saying to Moses here are not just words. Listen, they're not just words. It's exactly what has been happening in chapter 32, 33, 34. This is exactly the way God is already being to Moses. He's showing his forgiveness and yet reminding them of his holiness and his justice. Now, when all this is revealed to Moses, what does he do? The last verse of our passage. Right? Verse 8. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. He hurried up to worship. Listen. What's the appropriate response to a revelation of God's glory, his character, and his goodness? Just to worship. Hurry up and worship. <laughs> I'm just going to then finish off with these couple of conclusions. I want to say that this passage where God reveals his character to Moses, in verses 6 and 7 especially, becomes foundational to Israel's own understanding of God. It becomes like a creed to them. This passage, and we may get chance over the next little while to see some of these places, not, not today, but other days. This passage, these, these affirmations of who God, God's character, who God is in his character, these affirmations get repeated over and over again in the Old Testament. As people come to God in prayer, as they come to God in all sorts of ways, they rely on this understanding of God's character. But as Moses asks God to see his glory and what he receives is a revelation of God's goodness and character. Can I just tell us, I think it is time for us to seek the Lord.
not to stay on a spiritual plateau because believe me, if you stay plateaued, you'll start to decline. Not to stay plateaued, but to press in, to know the Lord. It is, as Hosea says, it's time to seek the Lord for that he might come and rain righteousness upon you. I'm going to finish now with a prayer. We can, and uh, this prayer from, from A.W. Tozer's book on the pursuit of God. Maybe you can pray this with me as I pray it. Oh God, I have tasted your goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O oh God, the triune God, I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me your glory, I pray you, so that I may know you indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow, to follow you up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen. John, you guys can, uh, we're going to continue to worship, uh, and I encourage you as we have read the scripture and as the scripture reveals the Lord to us that we respond in worship, and whether that is to respond in prayer or confession or in song, um, sitting down or standing up, however you feel comfortable as we begin to sing these songs, I would encourage you guys to just worship our God.
didn't want heaven without us so jesus you brought heaven down my sin was great your love was greater what could separate us now what a wonderful name it is what a wonderful name it is the name of jesus christ my king what a wonderful name it is nothing compares to
worship you, God. May our lives give you glory. May we honor you forever and ever. You are the king above all, all powerful. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. In your name, we pray. In your name, we ask these things. In your name, we come before your presence. Amen. Thank you guys for coming and joining us this morning. We'll see you next week.